I'm going to go at it a little different today. Um, I am going to preach about Jesus on the cross, but I'm going to take it a step farther today and talk to you a little bit more in detail about the tomb. Amen. And so um, I, I will start in a few moments over in John, the Gospel of John chapter 19. But I will not read the whole story to you today. I'm going to start in verse 28 when I get to there. But in John chapter 19, in just a few moments. But I want to, I want to read you an overview or tell you a little bit about what was going on up, up until John chapter 19, verse 28. We know that Jesus uh, was before Pilate, and we, we know that he was on trial. We know that he was given... Um, a, on his way there, we know that he was giving, given 39 stripes. We know that he was beaten. We know all of those things. And so I want to overview that so that it will drop into verse 28. Jesus was beaten. I don't know of anybody that wants to sign up for that today. But Jesus was beaten. A crown of thorns was shoved on his head. He was mocked by soldiers saying, Hail, King of the Jews. He was slapped, he was punched, he was, his beard was plucked. It's plucked out. The Bible says that his beard was plucked out. He was spit upon, he was abandoned, and he was tortured for one reason. His love for humanity. His love for for humanity. He, he endured all of these things because he loved me and you. That just enamors me. I love Scotty. I don't know if I love you that much, can I be honest? <laughs> we say we love people, but are we willing to do this for people? This is, the, this is the God we say we serve. This is the Jesus we say we love. We have no doubt all heard the story of how Jesus was whipped with 39 stripes with a cat of nine tails until his flesh was literally torn from his body. A cat of nine tails is a whip that had nine, um, nine little whips off of it. And on that was tied, on the very end was tied glass or sharp objects of metal. And when they would whip, it would dig into the skin. And when they would yank it out, it would pull the flesh. 39 stripes times nine. Now you hopefully understand why he was, one, one passage of Scripture says his, his face, his body didn't even look human. Can you imagine, you know, those whips, not only just the back, but hitting the head, wrapping around the face, the muscles, tearing out the shoulder muscles, exposing vital organs. Why? Because he loved you. Because he loved me. That's the only reason he, he chose to do this. He was chosen, or he chose to come for you. Man, this is awesome. We know the story of how he struggled to carry his cross up a hill to a place called Golgotha. He had been carrying it for some time. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us that there was a man named Simon that had helped him carry his cross onto his death. He was already in a weakened state, barely able to, to, to move, walk, more or less carry a cross. And someone had to help him carry this cross to a place called Golgotha, which is the, literally known as the place of skulls. Because people would surely die at this place. There wasn't a maybe you're going to die. You're going to die at this place. He knew on his trip there that he would die for you and for me. It is there, this place called Golgotha, that he would be nailed to a cross for my sins and for your sins. Nailed to a cross that you could be forgiven. 
That's amazing to me that a, that a, a God would love us so much that some 2,000 plus years in advance of your existence that he said he looked down in the eons of time and said, I will die for their sins that they may love me. Knowing in advance that you have the choice not to love him. I'll do a lot of things for a lot of people, but I know if you're not going to be appreciative of it, I won't do it. I'm sure of that. But he did it because he wanted to give you a chance, an opportunity just to say yes. That's love. That's the Jesus we're going to talk about today. That's the Christ that I want to present to you today. So if you have your Bibles in John chapter 19, verse 28, we pick up the scripture with him hanging on a cross. He's made it to the cross. He's been nailed to the cross. He is now hanging on the cross for some time, close to some six hours actually at this point. John 19, 28 says, this, And after this, all those things I just described, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, it is important when you read your Bible that you slow down and you read and you comprehend what's happening. It's, the word says this, knowing that all things were now accomplished. That is a very important phrase to a Christian today, that all things have been accomplished. There's nothing that needs to be accomplished for you to serve God, love God, and walk in the fullness of Christ. It's been done. It's accomplished. That's a good, that would have been a great amen moment for any of you Pentecostal-type people. As a matter of fact, that would have been a great amen moment if you're just a heathen. Amen. amen. Y'all got to loosen up on me. Knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Verse 29. Now a vessel of, full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop, and put it to his mouth. In verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Telioth. Telioth. It's a Greek word. It means all three of those. It's one word. Telioth. It's finished. It's complete. That means nothing else can be added to this to make it more complete. When, when Christ says it is finished, there's nothing left to be completed. Your salvation, if you're struggling with salvation, it is complete in Him. If you're struggling with things in your life, it is finished. It is more, we want to equate the cross and the tomb for salvation only, but it is much, much bigger than that alone. It is everything that he said, the promises that he had, when he said it's finished, they're available to you at that moment. I took some clothes to the cleaners the other day. I said, when will they be ready? She racked off a time. I said, great. I could have went the next day to try to pick up those clothes. I couldn't have picked them up because they weren't ready. It wasn't finished. They, they were incomplete. They, maybe one or two. But you know what? The next day they sent my wife a text and said, your clothes are finished. They're ready. Well, guess what? You can go pick them up now. That's the way we need to view Christ in our walk. When he said it's finished, everything that he said is available to you is available to you. Everything. That's amazing. Says it is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus actually, listen to what I'm fixing to tell you. Jesus actually became the target of God's wrath that you might be saved. Do you understand God's wrath? It was pointed and focused at Jesus, a sinless person. It was focused completely on him, God's wrath, that you would have an opportunity to say yes. If nothing else, that should be enough motivation to say, he loves me, I'll serve him. Right. If you're wondering what does the wrath of God look like, read Revelations and you'll get a picture of what God's wrath looks like. 
And it was poured out on Jesus for your sins, my sins. Thank God we have a sacrificial lamb in Jesus Christ. The statement, it is finished, is more than a completion of 29 prophecies over 1,500 years in advance. It's way more than those prophetic words by the great prophets of the Old Testament. So what does this phrase, it is finished, really mean? Simply, we know that he had not yet ascended so how could all things be accomplished? He hasn't, everything's not complete yet. How could this be? Simply means that in all the things that he could do earthly, in the physical realm was complete. Everything that was necessary for him to physically do at that moment on the cross when he died was finished. But there's another side of God. The other side of God is the supernatural side. The side that we think sometimes doesn't exist because our problem is too big. My sin is too dirty. I've been doing this too long. And so that supernatural side of God doesn't exist to us. But there's a supernatural side of God that should not be overlooked. It is the supernatural power to resurrect himself from a tomb. Praise God. That is a amen moment, a clap. Praise God, he got up out of the tomb. Amen? He has resurrected himself. That part had not yet been finished. For three days, we assume, we think, we believe, but really he was doing other things. For three days, he was laid in a tomb, but yet doing work in a spirit realm. Woo! See, the earthly realm was finished. What he could do and what needed to be done to accomplish that. See, in Old Testament, when the lamb was slain, the physical part in the physical realm, it was done, the shedding of blood. But you know what that left you? Just a dead little lamb. Because the lamb didn't have the supernatural side. The lamb didn't love you like Christ loved you. So there's this resurrection power that I want to talk to you about this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 17 through 19 says this about the resurrecting power. If you're wondering, did it really happen? This is what scripture says. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. In other words, it's in vain. And you are still in your sins. If he didn't get up out of that tomb, you're still a sinner. You will spend eternity in hell. But he got up out of the tomb, if you're wondering. In verse 18, then it says then, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, those that we say went to Abraham's bosom, they're, they're, they're not in heaven. They are in hell somewhere, in a, a type of torture somewhere. If he didn't get up, we're doomed. Verse 19 says this. If in this life only, while you live right here, we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful. This is it? Man, I'm disappointed. There's something beyond this. But you know, we live beneath the promises that God has given us while we're here. We've reduced this thing called resurrection only to there. Christ wants you to walk in the fullness of him here. That's the amazing part about what God has done for us. It's not only something to hope for when we die. Praise God, that's just really a benefit. God wants to use us. He's died for your sins while you're here. That you may be used of him in this earthly realm. Praise the Lord. A lot of people have followed Jesus to the cross, but very few have followed him to the tomb. Let me say it again. A lot of people have followed him to the cross, 
But very few have followed him to the tomb. We even find that in Scripture, if you read the accounts in the Gospels of the resurrection, the, the, the death, the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection, you'll find that very that there was a lot of people standing at the cross. There was two other heathens that were crucified at the same time, no doubt, probably had a mother or a father in that crowd. At very least, they had an accuser in the crowd of someone that they had wronged. There was people around there. They went, this was almost like the, the spectacle, almost like the climax of the city when they would go and watch people be, be crucified. And Jesus was there with his followers. There was a lot of people at the cross. We, we read accounts of that, that many people watched him. There were soldiers that, that watched him die on a cross. A lot of people. Follow Jesus to the cross, but few follow him to the tomb. I want to explain a little deeper. When we stop at the cross, we miss out on the power that comes from the resurrection which happened at the tomb. So many of us, we want to come to church and get saved and call it done. We want to fall into the cross because we don't want to go to hell. We want to follow him to, to the cross because we don't want to be tortured forever in hell. But we don't want to go to the tomb. Because going to the tomb means sacrifice. Following Christ with your whole heart, mind, will, emotion, spirit, soul, following requires sacrifice on your part. We're okay if he sacrificed, but I don't want to sacrifice. We're good if you go and you do all this, but I don't want to. I just want the benefit of not spending eternity in hell. We walk in this thing called life, defeated, beat up, trampled on. Wondering why we're in our problems, in our addiction. Why we, why we have addictions for years and years and years. When Christ is provided, it is finished. It is finished. It's complete. Now that all things have been accomplished, he said. All things are accomplished. It's finished. Why do we continue to walk in our sinful ways? Why do we continue to live a life that is defeated, that is interrupted, that has little to do with Christ when he gave everything for us? Anyone could have died on a cross. That makes some of the religious people say, wait a minute now. There was two heathens died beside him that day. Doc, you've been to Israel more than once, probably seen this place I've described called the place of the skull. And probably if we were there there in that time, they're getting a little more civilized now, but you would probably, the reason's called the place of the skull because there were skulls that had laid there. They had taken bodies off and dropped them there, and they were just bones and skulls. Anybody can die on the cross. It was the worst way to die. It was the most gruesome way to die on the cross. Yet yeah, your, your Savior, the one you call Jesus, the one you say you love and you serve, he died a gruesome death for you and for me. Anyone could have died on the cross, but Jesus is the only one who defeated death by the resurrection of the tomb. He is the only one that you have ever read about that is within himself rejuvenated life 
and raised himself from the dead that we might be saved, that we might live an abundant life in Christ. John 10.10 says that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but that he came that you may have life and have it more. It is accomplished that you have life and have it more abundant. Not just walk through this thing and say, praise God, I made it to church and whoo, I finally made it. The devil's been on me. Why? The devil about got me. Quit telling us how weak your faith is then. Jesus died and accomplished it for you. The devil didn't about get you. The Bible says that greater is he that is in me than he is in this world. That I'm made an overcomer through Christ. What do you mean you're about to go down? He accomplished everything. The abundant life that you need. As a blood-bought, born-again child of God, you're not about to go under. God's done the work. The Bible says, draw nigh to God in James. Draw nigh to God. Submit to him. Resist the devil. He'll flee. Well, that's just too easy. It's abundant life. He's already accomplished the work. He's, you, within you, if you're in Christ, you have the power to overcome the enemy. If, if it were not so, why did he go through this? Just so you can be saved? No, he needs you. He needs everybody in this balcony on, on board with him. He needs everybody down in this main floor working for him. He has, he has made you overcomers for a reason. Not just so you can go make money and do your thing and say, well, I'm going to get to heaven. What a pathetic way to get into heaven. My God, I want to go. Look, when I show up, I want to say, hey, there's that guy right there that was busy about kingdom business while he was down there. Glory to God. He used the word of God for abundant life. Look at there. Yes, come on, brother. I don't want to be in that group back there. Ooh, glory to God. We, woo, we made it in, mama. We made it in. My God, why would you want to live your life that way? Third book of John, chapter 1. The only chapter there, verse 2. It says He says that he would that you would prosper. Be in good health as your soul prospers. I don't know if you know what prosper means, but prosper means to do well, to be exceedingly abundantly above. That's what he wants you to be. Your soul, mind, will, and emotions, he wants you to be above and beyond. He died for us. It is finished. It is accomplished. All things were accomplished. At the cross in the tomb. Well, glory. Hmm. Have you ever noticed that it's not called Cross Sunday, but it's called Resurrection Sunday? You ever thought about that? I think about crazy things sometimes. I've never heard it said, oh, it's Cross Sunday. No, it's Resurrection Sunday. What does that mean? There's life. There's power. There's the life that comes with this. It is not about the end and just getting to the end. It's about life. Resurrecting power. My God, I wish the resurrecting power would sweep through this church and get some of us uh, Christians and wake us up and give us some life. Give us a shot of five-hour energy. Oh, praise God, I wish from heaven that we had a room back here that we could fill up little bottles of five-hour Jesus drink. I'd pass them out when you came in, get you a little drink. Come by the church about Monday morning, get you another drink instead of drinking on that other stuff you've been drinking on. Y'all didn't know I was going to say that on Resurrection Sunday, did you? Mm. Glory. So let me give you a prophecy of Christ's resurrection and its fulfillment, okay? In Isaiah 68, verse 18 and 19. 
says, you have ascended on high. You have led the captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation, Selah. I got out of that. The Lord wants to load you daily with benefits. You say, well, isn't that looking a little deep into that? No, it's what he died for. It is finished. It is complete. I'd rather have the benefits, the daily load me with benefits, than I had daily strike me down, daily barely get through, looking for my provision. Some of us are still struggling with things we've had for 20 years. Time to cut the purse strings on that thing. Give that thing a new address, not at your house. Give it a new address called hell. Send it back to hell where it came from. Some of you are so scared to loose and bind stuff in your life, you don't even know what to do. You're afraid that's some kind of weirdo stuff. Well, you just keep being bound then. Woo, shout me down now. Come on. Let me move on. So there's the prophecy. Here's the fulfillment in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, starting at verse 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, He led the captivity captive. This is a fulfillment of the resurrection at the tomb, okay? He says, and he gave gifts to men. What? He gave gifts to men. Men meaning women or men. Boy, girl, adult, child, it doesn't matter. He gave gifts to men. Verse 9, now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Verse 10, and he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might, watch this, fulfill all things. How many things did he fulfill? What is that? Every promise he gave in his word, he fulfilled it. I got some more stuff. But you're going to want to buckle up on this one. So what was fulfilled? Well, let's ease back up to verse 8. He gave gifts to men. Well, how many of you like gifts? Glory. I like a gift. I don't like a snake wrapped up in a box. I like a gift. Right? I like gifts. You like gifts. You like things. He gave gifts. I wonder what that could be. What are gifts? Are you ready? If you're a visitor, right on each side, you can reach down in your chair and there's a little, but you just pull it up and buckle that in. <laughs> if you're a Christian, there's a shoulder harness you don't need to. If you come to this church, buckle up with that five-point harness because it's fixing to get good. Now, I'm just preaching the Word of God to you. I'm not, I'm not preaching opinion. I don't do that. I preach the Word. Here's, here's what the Word says. So what was fulfilled? Well, he gave gifts. Well, let's just see what some of these gifts were. Now, look, this is just a continuation. This is not I had to flip somewhere else in the Bible. It's all right in the same context. Verse 10, now we go to verse 11. And he, gave, and he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And all of you said, praise God, I don't have one of those ministries. Glory to God. There's your problem. You do have one of those. That's the only ministries that God has. And you're a minister. Problem is, you just don't want to figure out which one you want to do. Or you've already figured out which one you want to do, and you don't want to do it. So you said, Lord... I don't want to do that, so I won't do anything. I'll just take the fire insurance policy, if you don't mind, behind door number one. I just want to go to heaven, but I don't want to do anything else. Part of the reason we got a bunch of kids running around in in, in this world that are heathens is because mom and daddies don't want to be a teacher of the gospel. They don't want to get in the Word and learn for themselves so that they can teach their kids. You didn't know I was going to go there, did you? You're a teacher. You may not be a teacher in a classroom. You may not be in pulpit. You're a teacher. You're a pastor. 
I tell our church here, if you're new here, I tell our church all the time here, oh, they need a pastor, they need a youth pastor. But it is not this man, it is not this woman. Their first youth pastor is you at the house. You got them more than they got them. You expect them to come in here and change their lives in one hour. Well, what are you doing the other 160 hours a week? 150, whatever it is, you send them off to wherever. Come on, this is good preaching. Didn't say it was going to be popular, I just said it was good. He himself gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Verse 12, watch this. This is, this is the fulfillment of the tomb. This is resurrection power. I don't know if I can do it. I just don't know if it's in me. You have resurrection power. It says this. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Are you a Christian? where it gets kind of quiet most times. I don't even know if I want to answer that right now. If you're a Christian, resurrection power has rested upon you that you can equip saints for the work, work, work of the ministry. Not work for your good. Not work because if you want to, for your desires, your lustful ideas, for the work of the ministry. Well, praise God. For the edifying of the body of Christ. That means you can't talk about people. That means you should be lifting them up and encouraging them. When you don't like what they did to you or to someone else, you think, well, I ought to have done it this way. Well, was you participating in the program? But do you know what they said about me? Nope, nope. But the Bible says you're to edify. Resurrecting power. I've had to have the resurrecting power sometimes to edify people. Can I be a, honest with you? Lord, I didn't want to edify them. I want to tear them down. I want to beat them up. I want to chew them up, spit them out. I want to have them for lunch. I needed resurrection power to come home and say, ooh, let me edify them. They're doing the best they got, the best they can. Amen. I thought you'd like it. For the edifying of the body of Christ, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of faith. This is what the resurrecting power from the tomb does for the church. You want to know why the church is split? You want to know why the, the church is inactive? Because there's no unity. Because we haven't been walking in resurrection power. We just got fire insurance. We just want to go to heaven. What about the work of the ministry? God's given us talents and anointings and callings. And we never darken the door with them and they come from God, that one that gave us resurrecting power. Wouldn't hit a lick at a dead snake if it was laying in the front door and people had to walk over it when you come to church. Come on, I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious about it. I know it feel, feels like I'm harsh. But Jesus done a great work for me and you. He done something worth my work. Worth me at least giving everything I can for him. Amen? And the knowledge, watch this. So in verse 13, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Who? How, how do you walk into perfection? In the knowledge of... Of Christ, in the knowledge of his word, you've got to study his word to understand what a perfect man is and what it looks like. If you're not studying God's word and you think you're perfect, you're, can I use the word? I shouldn't use that word, should I? <laughs> Something's wrong with you. <laughs> if you think you're going to be a perfect man and not have the knowledge of how to be perfect, They make pills for that. Something is not right. When you, when you get in God's word, it says when you get in his word, okay, let's read it again. <clears throat> and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, watch this, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. In God's word, there's knowledge that will take you into the fullness of Christ, the resurrecting power. 
We've stopped at the cross because we don't want to study God's word to step in the fullness of Christ because we may have to do the ministry of Christ and not do our thing. This is Resurrection Sunday. That the church would rise up. That the church would stand up and be the church. There's more fentanyl. There's more drugs and alcohol abuse ever in this country. There's, there's more teenage pregnancies. There's more uh, fornication, adultery. There's all of these things going on. Hang on. In this church. And we just want to get We just want to get to heaven. Christ died for more than you to get to heaven. Christ died for your sins. And he got up out of that tomb that you would have resurrection power to help win the world for him. God God is sending you by people every day, Jason. Taylor, every day he sends you by somebody that needs Jesus. Every day, you rub shoulders with somebody that he says, man, 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 I hope Jimmy talks to him about Jesus. I I got him right there. I got him together. I hope it talks to him about Jesus. I gave him resurrecting power. I've already done the work. All they got to do is commit. They got to see enough of of Jesus in old Jason to say, I want to have what you got. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children. It's been a long time since I've had kids at the house. What what comes over now is angels, but they they were kids earlier. (laughs) Glory to God. They're little angels, man. I didn't know I could produce my offspring with these little angels, but they are. I mean, come on. If anybody got grandkids, you know what I'm talking about. Watch this now. Listen to me. This is in your Bible just like it's in my Bible. And when you read it, it means the same thing to you as it does when I preach it to you. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That we should no longer be children. You know what he's saying? Some of us are acting like children and we're saying we're children of God, but we want to stay a child. We don't want to grow up in him. We want to go to the cross and not go to the tomb. We just want the benefits of being a child. Come on. We want the handouts. We want the food. We want the clothing. We want want the car. We want the cell phone. We want all that stuff that is provided by the parent, but we don't want to grow up. It's time we got some Christians to grow up and say, I I want to step into the fullness. I want to be an adult in Christ. I want to step into resurrection power. I'm about to get undignified. That's the happy. That makes me make, make a lap. In the church, will you act like a fool at a ball game? Why can't I act like a fool for Jesus? Come on. Glory to God. Watch this. This is what the Bible says about children. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. It says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. Now I understood as a child and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, watch this. When I became a man, when you grew up in Christ, it says, you put away childish things. You put them away. He didn't take them from them. You got them and said, I don't want to be a child anymore. You put them away. When you grow up in Christ, put that stuff away. Walk in what Christ has for you. Don't be a child anymore. Heard one preacher say it this way. He said, when your kids are learning to talk, they're saying that goo goo gaga and all that stuff and they mispronounce words. I don't know if it was Ethan or Sam, but instead of saying relax, they would say burlax. Burlax. Was that you or who? That was Ethan. He's always been a little bit out there. He'd rub your shoulders and say, Burlax, Burlax. I didn't care what he said, just keep rubbing my shoulders. But the boy's 28, that ain't funny no more. 
Something's wrong with him if he still says Berlax. I won't take him and say, bud, we got to go out back and talk. Berlax is not what a man says. It's what a kid says. We expect our kids, watch me now, we expect our kids to grow up, don't we? We don't expect them to act like kids all the time. I don't expect to pay the bills of my kids. I don't. Grow up. Get your own job. Get off the payroll. Come on. What does Christ look at when he sees you? What is he, what is he seeing? They're still just a child. You've been in this thing 10, 12, 15, 30, 40 years. But Jesus, I don't want to. You do. I was going to go hunting. We had a family play date, you know. We've only been on 22 this year, you know. Summer's about over. I'm making funny. I, I like going on vacation with your family. You know what I'm saying. Come on, church. Let's grow up. How many people that you walk by and you never say anything about Jesus? You've been working at the same place for 5, 6, 7, 10, 12, 15 years, and they don't know if you're a Christian or not. They've never seen you go to your car at lunch break and break out a Bible. You've never talked to them about Jesus. You know what that is? That is a childish, childlike Christian. That's being a baby Christian. Paul said, get up off the milk and get on some meat. This is Resurrection Sunday. He wants us to resurrect from where you are. We don't want Christ. We didn't want Christ to stay where he was in a tomb, right? Aren't you glad he resurrected? You know what he wants you to do today? He wants you to resurrect. He wants you to come up out of your, out of your old self and say, I'm resurrecting from the old baby Christian, and I'm going to grow up to be a, a big Christian. I'm going to be a big boy. Some of you still wearing your pull-ups. Ooh. Hallelujah. Let's play that video, Hunter. Give me that. Lots of it. That's not going to solve your problems. It's meant to distract from No more preaching. Just give it to me. Lilith, please listen to what I'm says the Lord who created you and he who formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You Oh, <sighs> 
by and large, one reason the church is weak is because we stopped following him at the cross when we should have followed him to the tomb. In Matthew 28, verse 17, some doubted. If you read the account of the, the happenings around the crucifixion and the resurrection, some that went to the tomb, they saw him. And when they begin to tell others, the ones, the 11 that had walked with him, the scripture says that they doubted. In Mark 16 11, says Mary told the disciples that she had seen him and they did not believe her. In Mark 16 13, says, and others were told and they did not believe either. Mark 16, 14, Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples and he rebuked them because they did not believe when they had heard that he was alive from those who had seen him at the tomb. The disciples went to the cross. But not until later do you read any account of the disciples going to the tomb. But let me tell you who was at the tomb. There was a young woman Mary Magdalene. The scripture says that Jesus cast out seven devils. She was at the tomb because she wanted more than just the cross. She knew where she had been. She had been forgiven of so much. And she said, I want everything he has for me. And she followed him to the tomb. She was first at the tomb. She was the first, watch this, the first to ever speak to Jesus after the resurrection. You say, I'm so far from God, I'm so, I've done so much. May I tell you, no matter where you've been, no matter how long you've been doing it, at the tomb, there's resurrecting power. At the tomb, you come to him just the way you are and there is deliverance. Praise God. Mary Magdala understood probably a Corinthian girl that of not someone you would want to marry but spend an evening with was probably into all the things that we would be into today the drugs, the alcohol, the men, or men, it could be women, the pornography, the lust, the envy, the covetousness, the jealousy, the lying, the sin, you know, the sin. But she followed him to the tomb. She wasn't stopping at the cross alone. I am not in any way negating the power of the cross because there's no tomb, there's no resurrection without the cross. Uh, you understand where I'm going with it. But at the tomb, there's resurrecting power. It's at the tomb that the church needs to visit and experience resurrecting power. At the tomb, there is resurrecting power. There's power to heal. Come on, somebody needs to hear this. There's power to heal. It is finished. It is complete. Isaiah 53. If you got faith to be saved, you got enough faith to be healed. If you got faith to be saved, you got enough faith to walk in peace in your life. You don't have to walk in confusion and torment because confusion is from the devil. There's power at the cross. There's power at the tomb. There's power to deliver. There is no addiction that God did not set us free from. There is no addiction. There's no hold. There's nothing that the resurrecting power of the Lord Jesus Christ cannot deliver you from. There is power, supernatural power at the tomb. Don't let the devil tell you that your addiction has been too long, too deep, and got a, a big grip on you. When Jesus got up out of that tomb he took death, hell the power of it and said no more whoa 
Whatever you're thinking's got you, God's already defeated it because it is finished. There's a power to set free. There is a power to overcome all doubts and fears. And yes, there is power to save the sinner. That's what happens at the cross and at the tomb. It's just not a Sunday that we celebrate so that we can feel good about ourselves for the next 51 weeks. It is salvation and it is resurrection power that says I'll walk in the fullness of the Christ who died for me, who resurrected for me. Jesus, and I'll close with this. Jesus had the authority. Listen to me. He had the authority to proclaim, it is finished. But he had the power to confirm such a statement with resurrecting power at the tomb. Not only did he make the statement that he fulfilled that very thing, that it is finished, and I'll show you by resurrecting from the tomb. Praise God. That's the Jesus I serve. That's the Jesus I want to follow. That's the Jesus I get up with in the morning. That's the Jesus that I, I eat my noontime meal with. That's the Jesus I go to sleep with. That one that says, I've overcome the world, and you're in me, and you can overcome. That's the Jesus that I want you to get this morning on Resurrection Sunday. He's not on the cross. Don't ever leave him on the cross. He got off the cross. They took him off the cross. Joseph of Marathea, they put him in a borrowed tomb and he got up out of that tomb because that tomb could not hold him. Praise God. That tomb was nothing. Death was nothing. Your addiction, your problem, your situation is nothing for the resurrecting power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me across this room? Hallelujah.